Good morning. Before we jumped in today, uh, Redeemer Youth, where are you guys at? I know you're in here. Wanted to thank you for the amazing job I hear you're doing with VBS. Uh, sincerely, it sounds like uh, everybody's bragged about you. And I know it may not seem like a big deal what you're doing, but it is. I would just remind you of when you were one of the littles and the bigs paid some attention to you and how awesome and amazing that felt. Uh, well, now it's your turn. And last week when I got home after the first week, uh, I asked Asher, I said, how was it, buddy? How'd it go in VBS? And he said, it was awesome. It was awesome. Showed me his swag, was still wearing his pin, all of his stuff that he got. We talked about the lesson. And then I looked at some pictures that my wife Melissa had taken uh, of his, his first grade class, but then other classes, and so I've been through them, and I noticed Asher was sitting next to uh, someone. So uh, Aaron Hughes, are you in here today? I see that hand. There you are. So uh, last week, when I got home, and I looked at the pictures with him, I said, well, who's that sitting next to you? I don't rec- recognize the, the back of his head. Who's that big boy? And Asher goes, that's Aaron. I said, oh, yeah? I said, he spent some time with you? He goes, oh, yeah. We spent the whole time together. He's, he's my new best friend. <laughs> and, buddy, he begged us to let, uh, to let him ask you if you wanted to go see Minions this week. <laughs> so there is a seven-year-old that thinks you are awesome, and his dad does too. So I thank you uh, to our youth. Um, it means more than you know. It really does. So for the last 16 weeks, we've sat on this mountaintop with Jesus. And today, he brings his great sermon to a close. If you remember from last week, he started to bring his sermon to a close by bringing us to a moment of decision. After all that you've heard him say, after everything that he's taught, Which way are you going to go? There's two paths and two paths alone in front of you. Will you take the wide path that is easy but ends in destruction and death? Or will you take the narrow path that's hard but leads to life? And make no mistake, that statement raises the water level of the whole sermon and puts it in a whole new context. Because it means that everything that Jesus has been teaching us is not about how to become a better you. It's not about personal enrichment. What you do with his words is about life and death. Not living and dying, but about true life and true death. And Jesus continues to raise the stakes this morning. He tells us to beware of false prophets. He says, beware of false prophets and do not be deceived by them. Now I highly doubt you have given any thought whatsoever this week to false prophets. If you have, I'm very curious as to what strange corners of the internet you spent your time on this week. But Jesus wants to talk about false prophets. And he has something to say about them. 
And he gives us three illustrations this morning about final judgment. There's two kinds of trees, two kinds of fruit, and two kinds of houses. And there's a lot in there today, but we can glue all of that together with a simple question. Jesus is closing his sermon by asking you, whose voice do you listen to? Whose voice do you listen to? Now, most of us are Americans. Most of us are Texans, which by God's grace means access to the greatest barbecue on earth. But it also carries with it a strong sense of independence. And so being asked the question, well, whose voice do you listen to? It kind of pokes at that rebel spirit within us that wants to buck trends, resist authority, and say no one. I don't want any voice telling me what to do. But the truth is, there are voices that we listen to. There's voices that you listen to. And to admit that is not demeaning or shameful. There are voices that we listen to. Just spiritually speaking, you know, if you're a part of a church, then part of that decision is choosing to listen to the voice of the pastors and the leaders, to be encouraged by them, built up spiritually and convicted and led. You can choose to listen to podcasts and the voices of different preachers and read books from different spiritual leaders that highlight all sorts of different voices. And even if someone says, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I don't really think you have to go to church to be a Christian. I don't really do the church thing. Well, that just means they've decided to listen to their own voice and to shepherd themselves. Everybody listens to somebody. So whose voice do you listen to? And if we step back, we need to recognize that God has always given his people voices to listen to. God raised up prophets who would speak to the people on his behalf, who would guide them according to his will, to call them back when they strayed and lead them in the way of life. All along the way, we see the Moseses and the Joshuas and the Samuels and the Nathans and all of the prophets from beginning to end. Because God set up a spiritual economy where he would provide voices to the people. Shepherds to guide the people according to his revealed will for the people. So then Jesus closes the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Beware of false prophets. Be careful whose voice you listen to. Be careful who you allow to influence you. Be careful who you allowed to guide you and to lead you because the voice that you listen to is an issue of life and death. Because God has always given his people those who would speak on his behalf, but with that also comes false prophets, those who pretend to speak on God's behalf. There always has been, and there always will be, those who would deceive you as though they offer to you the very words of life. So Jesus says, be careful, because they will devour you, 
and they will lead you in the way of destruction. He's telling us to be vigilant, to be discerning, to be perceptive, and to be careful. And we should notice that the way Jesus talks about false prophets is actually unsettling. Because naturally, we probably think of false prophets as just being really easy, rec- easily recognizable. As though, oh, those are obviously false prophets. And so we think of the David Koreshes of the world who only seem to draw the quote-unquote crazy people of the world. And so we think about false prophets and say, well, as long as we have half a brain, we should be good to go. But that is not how Jesus talks about false prophets. The danger of false prophets that Jesus is talking about is that they look so credible. If you look at the illustration he uses, he says you will recognize them by their fruit. We will recognize them by their fruit. Why? Because the healthy tree and the diseased tree look the exact same. One tree isn't all lush and full while the diseased tree is barren and dry and it's nice and blatantly obvious. No, Jesus is saying, you can't tell which is which by the simple eye test. Because the ones that Jesus is talking about, the really dangerous ones, are the ones that know how to hide. Did Ted Haggard look like he had a meth dealer and engaged in hotel rendezvous when he stood up to preach? Did it look like Carl Lentz had just met a woman in the park that week when he stood on stage that following Sunday? Who would have known about Ravi Zacharias' bank statements as he spoke to packed arenas around the world? How do you know what's going on in my life? Mark's, Ryan's, Ricky's. Jesus is saying false prophets can look so healthy, so credible, so convincing. And the only way that you can tell is not from a distance. The only way that you can tell is from up close. You have to get close enough to be able to see the fruit. Do not disregard the importance of a pastor that lets you come close. And I think the danger of false prophets is even greater today than it was in Jesus' time. Because our modern digitized world offers so many voices that weren't even possible 2,000 years ago. Just think of all those podcasts, YouTube channels, live streams, email newsletters, book distributions, all of that gives you countless access to countless voices all inside your pocket anytime that you want. But the problem with technology is that, yes, it gives you access, but it won't let you up close. And if you aren't allowed up close, then how can you even see the fruit? 
How could you recognize a good tree from a bad tree? Especially when millions are dumped into making it appear so healthy. One of the main issues of technology for all of its blessing is that it divorces content from character. It gives you all the content but no opportunity to get up close and to evaluate the character. And make no mistake, Christianity is been turned into a multi-billion dollar business with bottom lines and profit margins and sales quotas. It's driven by charisma because charisma sells. And there is massive financial incentive to hiding character. And Jesus says, beware of false prophets, for you will know them by their fruit. So you should probably especially be careful when you live in a world that doesn't allow you close enough to evaluate it. And so much can go into hiding it. And you live in a world where all that content is divorced from character. So if we step back for a second, false prophets exist according to Jesus, but there's a part of us that wants to say, yeah, but what's the real danger of, false, of a false prophet? Sure, pastors fail, but God can still use it, right? And we move on. But Jesus says not so fast. If it wasn't so important, then why would Jesus warn us about false prophets in this high-stakes conversation about life and death? What makes false prophets so seductive and dangerous and hard to recognize? Honestly, it is hard. But these illustrations that Jesus gives us teaches us how to evaluate and discern and understand how false prophets work and why they are so dangerous. The first danger that Jesus illustrates is how credible and convincing they appear. Nobody thinks they're following a false prophet. Nobody's like, yeah, I found this new podcast from this great new false prophet. You should check it out. They sound so good, new, normal, acceptable. Why? Because Jesus says they are wolves that are highly skilled at dressing up like sheep. And that's really interesting because notice he doesn't say they dress up as shepherds. They dress up like sheep. They come to you as sheep. As one of you, which means they're highly skilled at identifying with you. They seem to have an empathy that can relate to your situation and make sense of your struggles, like they understand you, they make you feel safe, like the Python Ka, speaking so sweetly and gently to Mowgli, making him feel safe all the while his coils are tangling around him. False prophets empathize with the sheep, which means they're skilled at gaining their trust. And if they can gain their trust, that is a powerful tool to avoid scrutiny. Because who wants the party to end? 
But the second danger of false prophets, Jesus says, is that they reveal our own ignorance about what good fruit even is. Over the years, I have heard so many times people say something like, well, they must be doing something right because look at the size of their church. Man, they've certainly sold a lot of books. God must be using it somehow. And we misunderstand what good fruit even is. We can think that church size, follower counts, book sales, or being a great speaker are good fruit and evidence of health. But if we don't really know what good fruit actually is, then we end up making the very mistake that Jesus has been warning us against the entire Sermon on the Mount. It's that we only look at the outside and we ignore the inside. We throw our applause at the spectacle, but we completely overlook the spiritual. And so then if we don't really know how to evaluate good fruit in the life of another then what makes us think that we can evaluate it and recognize it in our own? And lastly, the third danger is really the most important. False prophets won't really point you to Jesus. They will just use Jesus. They will not actually point you to Jesus. But they will use him. Jesus says they're ravenous wolves, and wolves eat sheep. They will eat your applause, they will eat your likes, they will eat your shares, they will eat your views, they will eat your attendance, they'll eat your affirmation, they will eat your money, and they will eat all that space on your bookshelf. But does your attention resolve on them, or is it pointed onward towards Jesus? I really wonder how many sermons will be preached in this world today that never mention Jesus. Instead, it's just three points of application for Christian living. Or casting a big vision that just simply assumes that he's behind it. I think false prophets come in many forms, but I think this day and age they look a very particular way. It looks like preaching and teaching that's about a stronger, better you. It's one part Bible, one part Oprah's book club. It's the ear tickling of our modern times. It presents to you a life that's moldable and controllable with the God behind you who's just waiting to help you obtain it if you would just step out in faith. If you listen closely, it's preaching that's laced with these strong undertones of self-empowerment and some vague notion of standing tall in your suffering because God is for you instead of bowing low in your suffering because God stands before you. You can hear teaching that's about making you feel strong enough to face your circumstances and not about Jesus being strong enough to face your circumstances. It's messages that carry the subtle notion that God would never, ever want you to suffer. It's teaching that doesn't preach the full counsel of God. 
It avoids the hard sayings of Jesus because that might be unattractive for growth and expansion. It takes a gritty, blood-soaked, R-rated Bible and it turns it into a G-rated, cartoonish kiddie pool that's half an inch deep and fun for the whole family. It won't serve you bread and wine for your soul. It's Kool-Aid and animal crackers. False prophets make this faith sound easy when the voice of Christ says narrow is the way and hard is it. False prophets make the life you want for yourself sound so obtainable when the voice of Christ says only, only when you let your life go will you find life. In the end, you can hear so much teaching and preaching that affirms who and what we want to be, and it doesn't challenge us with who and what Jesus wants us to be. It doesn't point you to Jesus and how to abide in him with a ruthless, clinging faith and an honest weakness. It doesn't encourage cross-bearing and repentance, but comforts and entertainment. It's not really about Jesus and hearing his voice because Jesus has always been bad for business. Comfort is so much easier to sell than a cross. Jesus says false prophets are real. And in verse 21 to 23, he tells us their fate. He says the terrifying statement, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. And on that day, many will say, but we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did mighty works in your name. But I will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. Go away. And typically that verse is interpreted as a generic warning to all Christians But I think Jesus is still referring to false teachers. It's not that it doesn't include us, but I think we miss the point if we focus it on us. And I think instead we need to see that Jesus is still referring to false teachers. Because if you look at the context, it's those who say, look at all the mighty, incredible, wonderful works that we did in your name. It doesn't sound like something the average Christian is going to say. And Jesus will say to them, depart from me. I never knew you. I don't know who you are. You use my name, but I do not know you. And that word for know is the language of deep union and relationship of which sex is a subcategory of that type of intimacy and knowing. And Jesus is saying, even for all of their sincerity, and they even use the covenant name of the Lord in Greek, Lord, Lord. Jesus says, no, you've only heard of me. You don't know me. I don't know you. We don't actually know each other. We don't actually have a relationship. You you used my name like an endorsement for your own brand. You just use me to build the life that you wanted for yourself. Depart from me. And so if this is directed at false teachers, does that mean that we're off the hook? No. 
Jesus is inviting us to do the math. He says, beware of false prophets, because if we follow and are influenced by those who don't truly know Christ and will lead us to him, then in the end, will not Jesus say the same thing to us? Depart from me, because I never knew you either. The danger of false prophets is that we look just like them. I recently watched FX's documentary on Hillsong Church and the scandal that's been exposed these last few years with Carl Lentz and Brian Houston and all of the fallout that's resulted from it. It was a surprising documentary for me. It's a well-done documentary. But it's also hard to watch. And the last episode was the most heartbreaking. Throughout all the episodes, they interviewed members who shared about their experience. But in the last episode, each of them shared where they were currently at. Kind of a present, up to the day, kind of update with where they were at in life. And many of them hadn't just left Hillsong, they'd left the faith entirely. These people felt so hurt and deceived and wronged, and they were. And they were in a place where they were completely disenfranchised from the faith altogether. What had looked so good from a distance, so inviting with all of its energy and spectacle and promise, eventually looked rotten up close. And almost all of them had left the faith altogether. And each of them pointed out the hypocrisy of the ministry and the church and the rotten fruit of the leaders and how it was never really about Jesus. But here's the thing. They never really were either. They wanted music careers and ministry positions to hitch their wagon to the next thing. Their involvement was driven by FOMO, not a deep faith. Their walking away from the church just shows that they wanted something else too, and it was not really Jesus. So in the end, they looked just like the teachers they followed, and great was the fall of it. The real danger of false prophets is that we look just like them, and we don't even know it. They are a reflection of us. Jesus closes his sermon with an invitation. It's an invitation for you to find his voice again. To realize the ways that you've grown deaf to his words. Maybe those ways you've allowed other voices to drown his voice out. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew against it, it did not fall because it was built on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And so when the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew against it, it could not stand. And great was the fall of it. 
Jesus centers our life and death situation upon whether or not we listen to his voice. I'm just going to be dead level honest. There is an inherent danger to knowing the teaching of Jesus. Especially the Sermon on the Mount. After these 16 weeks, we've heard his words. We've listened to his teaching. And he puts this life and death moment of decision before us. Because this faith is more than just believing in what Jesus has done. It's also listening to what he says. And the inherent danger is that we hear Jesus' words and his warnings and no sense of urgency rises up within us. Maybe we've heard that before. Maybe we think we're doing okay. Maybe we think we have the time to work it all out later in a season where I'm not as busy as this one. Which is a season that will never come. But to sit under the teaching of Jesus, especially the Sermon on the Mount, is dangerous. Why? Because it removes our ignorance. No longer can we say we didn't know. No longer can we say, well, I I hadn't heard. No longer can we say, well, I thought I'd have more time. Our ignorance is removed and he brings us to a moment of decision. What will you do with my words? What will you do with all that you have heard? Will you listen to my voice? Because there is a storm coming for you. The rain and the wind and the waves are on their way. I read an article a few years ago in the New York Times about the surprising difficulty of getting people to evacuate during a hurricane. You wouldn't think it was that hard, but evidently it is for all sorts of reasons that people just choose to stay. And this article talked about how the strategy to get people to evacuate has evolved over time. Early on, it was just a generic warning. Hey, a hurricane's coming. You should evacuate. But that wasn't enough, and people wouldn't leave. Then they started to get less general and more particular, and they would focus in on geographical regions by saying, a hurricane is going to hit Forney, then Heath, then Rockwall. If you live in these areas, you are in the direct path of this hurricane, and you need to evacuate, but people still would not leave. Then they started to compare the hurricane with past hurricanes. They'd say, this hurricane is X times more strong or more powerful than this hurricane in the past. But people said, you know what? We rode that one out. We'll ride this one out too. And then they finally changed their approach altogether. They started going door to door and saying, if you choose not to evacuate, please write your social security number on your arm and your next of kin so that the authorities can identify the body. That got people in their cars. A little fear and urgency woke them up to the reality of their life and death condition. And that article is such a perfect outline of how God has attempted to wake up his sleepy people and why Jesus speaks to us in the Sermon on the Mount the way that he does. God sent Moses who told the people that God would send them prophets 
to guide them unto life and to be that evacuation call out of death. But they did not listen to his voice. So then God went geographical and he sent a prophet to Judah. He sent a prophet to Israel. He sent a prophet all the way to Babylon to call the people out of their stubbornness and into life. But they did not listen. Then God reminded them of the past and the calamities that I brought upon you. You need to remember because the next one that's coming for you is even bigger. But the people said, we got through that one. We'll get through this one too. We are God's chosen people. And then God goes door to door. He sends Jesus to walk their streets, to sit in their homes, to eat at their tables, to heal their blind, to heal their lame, to heal their sick, to heal their deaf, to heal their mute, and to tell them, I am the final evacuation call. No one else is coming for you. If you do not listen to my voice, you will die. No one else is coming for you. I am the last one. Jesus talks in a life and death manner because we are in a life and death situation. And no one else is coming for us. Jesus is the final prophet. He's the last revelation. He's the final warning. He's the final entrance of God onto this world stage. And we live at the point in history where all of that has happened before. And we come after that final call. And we ain't got the time. Jesus is the final evacuation call out of death and into life. Life and death are now before you. So whose voice will you listen to. Jesus is waking us up to the reality of our situation and calling us to evacuate to our true home in him. He's trying to wake us up to all the ways the water level is rising all around us in our lives while we are asleep in a lazy boy. He's telling us about the floodwaters of anger and lust and judgmentalism and broken promises and people-pleasing and prayerlessness and materialism and relational strife and vengeance. All of that is rising all around us, and all of those things are but the first waves of the final judgment that is coming for us all. And Jesus has spoken about all those areas of life so that you would come to know him in all those areas of life. So that as those flood waters began to rise around you, you would not drown in them. But you'd remember his words. You'd hear his voice. And you would leave it all behind. And you'd run to him. To run to him as you feel those waves of anger Lust, marriage, strife, retaliation when you're faced with an enemy, when you're desperate for that approval, when you feel all that water level rise, you would come to know him in all of those little moments that set you up for that grand finale when that final wave of final judgment comes and Jesus will say to you, I know you. I know you. Come to me. For great is your reward. Whose voice are you going to listen to? For the glory of Christ and the life of the world.
Let's pray that we hear his. Lord Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, we ask that you would protect us from the evil one. We ask that you would wake us up in those areas of life that we've fallen asleep. We ask that you would give us ears to hear your voice. We ask that we would take seriously this life and death situation that we are in and that we would not think we're safe just because we're Texan or we grew up in church or there's a Bible on our shelf, but we would cling to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to find life in you. Help us to hear your voice when those waves of anger and lust and revenge and retaliation and people-pleasing, all those areas of life where the waves just keep coming one after the other, would you allow us to hear your voice? Help us to hear you, to fix our eyes upon you in the storm, knowing we won't sink under those waves, but we will find ourselves walking on them. pray that your voice would be the banner headline of this church. pray that we would pursue you above all else. pray that you would protect the character of our leaders, our elders, our deacons, all the way down to our nursery workers, to those that think, oh, I do so little. No. Might we know the significance and the influence of the one who listens to the voice of the Lord Jesus? Remind us that he who is last is first in this great kingdom. And make us a church that is shaped by your words to us. For why else are we here? Lead us in the way that we should go. We look forward to that day when you will say to us, Well done, my good and faithful servant, and we need an ocean of grace to get there. We ask that you would give it abundantly so that those waves may wash over us instead. We ask that we can taste that grace at your table this morning in your body and in your blood for your glory and for our good. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.